Welcome to the Spirit Restored Podcast. This is where the curiosities of spiritualism meet the belief systems of members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This podcast is only for those with an open mind. Join Ken Adams on his quest to find higher planes of spiritual experience. Welcome to the Spirit Restored Podcast. I'm here with Kurt Schmidt. Uh, He's a friend of mine that I've made recently that does some amazing stuff on the side of spirituality involving quantum physics, involving Psych-K, and also has quite a bit to say about the Mayan calendar, which that really piqued my interest because I'm really big into Mayan archaeology. Welcome, Kurt. Will you tell us a bit about yourself? Hey, Ken. Delighted to be here. Thank you. Great. I really love your episodes. I uh, actually just started listening to them probably within the last month. And um, yeah, they hit a lot of really uh, hit home a lot of places. So um, yeah, I uh, grew up uh, on Vancouver Island in a small town in a just Vancouver Islands uh, in British Columbia in Canada, just north of Seattle, and um, kind of a kind of a small town. I grew up in a Lutheran uh, family. We went to church, I would say, at least a couple times a month, and I was fairly active there until about age thirteen or fourteen. Then, um, after high school, I moved to. Alberta and ended up moving in with these three guys that had all been tracted out by the LDS missionaries about six months before. So I ended up moving into this place where the elders were there all the time. And I got to just jump into the energy of these new converts. And it, I guess, swept me up. I uh, read the scriptures and uh, really felt impressed to give this restored gospel a shot. So within a month or so, I joined the church, got baptized, and I I was thinking, okay, I'm going to quit smoking, quit drinking, quit fooling around. Because that was actually the condition of moving into this place. You had to be, you had to be a good guy, in that sense. And um, so I thought I'd give it a shot for about six months. And I tell you, it was it was quite fascinating. I remember having nosebleeds, and um, quitting smoking was really tough. Quitting drinking wasn't so so bad, but. Um, <clears throat> Six months later, I thought, oh, man, <clears throat> I'm really doing good. So I give it another six months. And then a, a year and a half later, I was out going on my mission. So I, I was 20 years old, arrived in the uh, Tempe, Arizona mission on my birthday, <clears throat> my 20th birthday. And um, had a great, great mission, moved back to Alberta after my mission, um, went into electronics engineering and met my lovely wife. We got married in Alberta and we now have 
five children, seven grandchildren. And um, then I moved, we moved back to um, Vancouver Island in the early 1990s. And we raised our children here. And we have a really, really nice ward, small ward, well, small town ward, about 150 or 200 people attending regularly in the congregation. And um, that's, that's kind of the snapshot um, of, of where I, I came from. So, so I wanted to ask as you, as you met the missionaries, right? Uh, mm -hmm. What was kind of like your first impression of them? So I was 18, 18 and a half at the time. And these, these guys were just a couple years older than me and, and it looked like, well, they had some purpose in their life. You know, they were, they were out there doing stuff and I was looking for some guidance. I didn't know anything about Mormons per se. I, at the time I, I knew Donnie and Marie were Mormons, Donnie and yeah. Marie Osmond, and that was about it. Right. But I, uh, was, I was really moved by the, by the spirit. Um, I, when I heard, when I heard the, the gospel, it was like, it rang so true to me. And I was like, I thought the plan of salvation as, as it was understood really gave me, filled my life with some purpose, new purpose, got me excited. And, um, I had to make some big changes like, um, moving, moving away from my family allowed me to make the change. It was tough to quit smoking and drinking when you're still around all your peers. Mm -hmm. At least it was for me in the small town. And pretty much if I look back at my peers now here in, in, in town, there's not a lot of change happening. So it was a good thing that I moved away. It's a great thing that I, I met the missionaries and <clears throat> I told my family that I joined the church after I had done that. And at the time, I think they were a little concerned because they really didn't know much about the church. I know there was some concerns in the family. They thought maybe I'd join some crazy cult. <laughs> However, you know, 40 years later now, it's, it's, it's shown that the gospel has totally transformed my life. I'm a way better person than I um, was going to be. And, and the stability that I think we have in our family now in my life for sure is something I, I really didn't know was going to be fully possible at the time but now looking back i realize all the little decisions that the gospel encouraged me to do strengthened me in some ways for example i was really struggling a lot of times with how to have a balanced life and the gospel of jesus christ the restored gospel of jesus christ helped me put all those pieces together I, in a way that I felt much more useful and also 
was able to see that it was productive. Um, when I, one of the first things that I came across when I was on my mission was um, a book by Stephen Covey called Spiritual Roots of Human Relations, a little green book. And it introduced me to some of these psychological concepts that mm -hmm. I ended up delving into a lot deeper in, in life and found that the, um, our, our experience here really is this combination of this, these four intelligences that we have, our body, our mind, our heart, and our spirit, and how they work together. And I think the gospel is the um, ideal solution to help us integrate them all. <clears throat> the ordinances in, of the gospel, the principles and ordinances of the gospel help us move through that mm. and integrate and making our lives more, more full, more complete. And that fullness and completeness, peace and balance comes because the, the atonement of Christ. That's the, that's the beauty of it. It is that we have this reality that it actually exists and that we can, we can implement it in, in our lives. I have now looking back, it was the best decision I ever made in my life. Has it been easy? No, it's been really challenging um, at times and extremely rewarding, extremely rewarding. I think back of what my goals were going to be when I was a teenager, had no idea. And now I look at the blessings that our family has. I wouldn't have much of this if it wasn't for the gospel of Jesus Christ being introduced to me. But when I think back, like you were saying, when, when we, when I joined the church, it was, it was really fascinating. I mean, we were, I, I, I go to this, this house to, to kind of look at whether I'm going to live there or not. And the guys just invited me in said, we're going to have lunch. You're here to, you're here to meet these guys. And the next thing I know, I'm, I'm talking with the missionaries. I was working a night shift. They said to me, oh, that's good because we got time during the day. And we come over and start introducing the gospel, the same thing that these other three guys had just joined the church with. So there was huge momentum. The ward met at a high school, and we would go in Sundays on Sundays into this high school and set up the gym the chairs in the gym set up the, the a table would put the sacrament on and it was in a big gym and yet the spirit was so strong there um it didn't matter we'd go into the the classrooms in the high school and that's where we would have our our different uh classes and one of the most powerful classes i remember i i went to because at the time they were the church was doing this um emphasis on the four generations program, uh, which is a family history, genealogical impetus. Everyone was encouraged to get their four generations together. And I walked into this, basically a classroom in the school, and I sat down and I had this impression really strong that my grandfather was sitting right next to me in this classroom. Very and interesting. I, um, 
he had passed away when I was 14, which was really sad because I was just getting to be interested in him <laughs> and he passed away. So this was in Edmonton where I joined the church, Edmonton Fifth Ward, actually, in the, in the Londonderry High School. And um, I said, okay, I'm, I'm going to do this for generation stuff. So I'm, I came back to my hometown and, and met with my grandmother and told her I wanted to do this four generation thing. <clears throat> and she says, that's amazing. Did you know that your grandfather had this big sheet of genealogy that went back generations and generations and nobody was interested in it except him that's amazing and nobody's seen it since he died we don't know where it is so I, I remember we did a fast and a pray and we started going through the house and we discovered this big sheet of paper that had all these family names went back to the 1700s. Wow. Yeah. So, ta-da, I got one side of the family put together pretty quickly. And it was a, it was a, probably one of the first in big Oz connections for me. It really inspired me to know that this was a value that, that I didn't have, but it was a value that really rang deep it changed the relationship that i have with my grandmother um, and with my father my grandfather <clears throat> and um then doing the work in the temple is you know the capstone almost of that whole whole experience <clears throat> and to be doing work with relatives is really fascinating. So a, a few years later, I get a call from my first cousin and she says, Hey, Kurt, I just wanted to let you know that um, I'm getting baptized. And I'm thinking, Oh, I wonder what church she's joining, right? I hadn't heard anything about it. And she said, would you come up to Port Alberni and, uh, participate in, in the ordinance. This is my first cousin, my, um, my uncle's oldest daughter. So in our family now, the, the, the two oldest grandchildren ended up individually joining the LDS church. I also have another cousin that joined the church and it was a little bit of wind in my sails because there's a, certainly some opposition misunderstanding there was a lot of uh, encouragement at first to help me correct my ways not to be involved in a you know crazy cult um however time has proven that it was a pretty good decision yeah I'm a happier person. I'm a, I, I, the gospel has filled my life and I'm grateful that 
spirit leads us to find these things when we're open and when we ask. So as you have been telling the story about how you became acquainted with the church, how you've learned about it, um, there's a question I had. Uh, a lot of times spirituality isn't like a new thing for someone that finds a new church, the LDS church or other churches or other ways of worship, right? It's usually something that is with us uh, when we're born and we have spiritual experiences regardless of who we are. Um, what what were some one or two experiences that happened before you knew about the LDS church that said, okay, maybe there's there's something more out there? Yeah, thanks. That's a great question. I remember I was about 15 or so. Um, and I don't know how it happened. I mean, I'm, I think I might've been a little high on, on some pot, but not overly drugged, but I had this experience where it was, um, I would call it a near death experience. I, I felt that somebody was, I was walking home about three in the morning and I, as I was getting closer and closer to my home, I had this immense feeling of, of uh, that somebody had died in my family. Didn't know what it was, but the closer I got home, the more I, uh, the deeper that feeling got. And I thought maybe somebody had died in the family and, and I would find out. The funny thing is, is the closer I got home, the more the feeling, the stronger the feeling got. And, it ended up that I had this immense feeling that I was going to die. I was going to go to sleep and not wake up tonight. This is it. And it was an Im immense feeling. I couldn't escape it. In fact, I even thought about writing a note and I thought, no, that would be dumb because I'm not committing suicide. <laughs> I don't want to say anything. I'll just do this experience. So I closed my eyes and it was intense. It was really intense. I was flying down this this tunnel. It reminded me like if you look down a, a vacuum cleaner hose with the rings and I'm lying on my back and I'm moving down this, this tunnel and the longer I'm in it, the faster I go and the more intense the feeling. And there's this light that appears at the end of this curve. And this is, this is in, you know, the early seventies. And I hadn't heard about near-death experiences before. So this is, this is completely new to me. And the feeling of, of flying down this tube at an immense speed and then hitting the light and immediately stopping was something I wasn't used to, right? Because usually if you stop, if you're going fast and you, you stop, there's still momentum that goes forward. This was not that at all. It was like going so fast and then instantly stopping. And I'm lying on this beautiful green field, looking up in the sky with complete peace, but full awareness. Realized what had just happened. It was like the contrast of immense anxiety and then complete absolution of it 
And then I opened my eyes and I'm back in my room and all the feeling of fear of death had completely wiped away. And I, you know, was smiling and going, wow, that was an experience. So I don't know what that was, but about six or seven years later, I was reading books about NDEs. And sure enough, a lot of the the impressions, especially the the tunnel with the light and the speed and the curve was um, was fascinating. The end result of that is I have had the feeling that it's an experience I'll never forget. And it gave me a confidence, if not a witness, that our consciousness does continue after this life in full awareness. And um, so I guess I was getting set up for some spiritual things. And then a couple years later, or maybe not even about a year and a half later, I uh, was kind of depressed, actually, because I was trying to get things going in my life, friends and things like that. And um, things just weren't working out. And I was walking on my way to school. uh, And there's this field that I got to walk through before. There's no one around. And I I knelt down and I said a prayer. I prayed one of those prayers with really full intent that can happen. Like you really are pushing it in. And the question was, you know, what am I doing wrong in my relations? And honestly, Ken, this is probably one of the most impressive things that had happened was the hearing a voice. And it's the only time I've ever heard it. And it was just a simple voice, but it was a male voice. I didn't know who it was, but I recognized it as some like a familiar, maybe it was a an old uncle or something, you know, that kind of feeling. <clears throat> and the message was, don't try to get people to understand you. Just try to understand others. And I guess it was a aha moment for me because I realized, well, that's really what I've been doing. I'm just trying to get people to understand me and I'm pushing that all the time. And that would push people away rather than attract them. So, I was so excited. I ended up having the most amazing week of my life, really. Started dating the, the prettiest girl in the high school. She asked me, you know, it was, got a got a, a job the next day. Um, a, a classmate that I really didn't talk too much just called me at home and said, Kurt, um, I don't know, but there's this guy looking for a job and uh, I was thought of you. Next thing you know, I'm, I'm working for this guy. And uh, it it gave me a, a, a another nudge that the Lord hears us and um, answers our prayers and will lead us and, and guide us, right? And so all of that happened while I was you know, before I finished high school. So I was set up for a couple experiences. So when I met the LDS missionaries, it was like a bell ringing. Whoa, you should listen to these guys. Because the feelings were coherent or they were similar. And the spirit was, you know, really 
witnessing to me. So it was an easy decision for me to, to try this out, to give it a shot for six months. And now I look back and say, yeah, that was, that was a good call. Good call. So, so now you're in this part of the story, right? You've, you've had these spiritual experiences. You've joined the LDS church. You, you've uh, been living in it. Yeah. Uh, and you've gotten married, right? And now uh, I'm wondering where it begins, where you start finding Psych K, which we'll talk about that in a second. Maybe it it starts with your quest about finding balance, right? Yeah. Well, I'd mentioned that Stephen Covey, um, and <clears throat> my career after I got married, I actually went into insurance and in sales, and that introduced me to psychology. And I was reading lots of different um, angles on psychology. And, and I came across Stephen Covey's book, Seven Habits, because that was late 1980s. And I really, of course, because he's LDS, and he was successful, and uh, it was kind of like, had his act together. So hey, I'll, I'm gonna learn this guy. And I started applying this stuff. And, and <clears throat> At the end of the day, though, it was about how do you make it? How do you make it work? I mean, it's nice to have these seven habits, but they're really hard to live. It's really hard to apply. And um, so, while I'm doing this insurance, trying to get my life balanced, I really had a hard time. I mean, I was barely making ends meet all the time. You know, commission sales, a young family. Oof, it was it's tough. It was like I could only make as much money each month as I absolutely needed. I could never make more. And that really bothered me because uh, there were other people that were making more money. They seemed to have more success. As I realize it now, it was maybe success, but with expense from another part of life because their relationships may fall apart or they don't have a, a spiritual center or their health falls apart. So you, I was concerned, I think, <clears throat> with this contrast where you would have, you, you see people that want to have these good lives, but they could only get part of it together and then another part would fall off. And I was experiencing the same thing. I'm thinking, how, how is this stuff all supposed to work together? So that they support each other, meaning that uh, we have, to use Covey's words, we, we have these four endowments that make us up, our body, mind, heart, and spirit. And that makes sense because <clears throat> the uh, scriptures tell us right, in section, section four in the Doctrine and Covenants tells that we're tells that we're to serve the Lord with all our heart, might, mind, and strength. And I really meditated on that for a long time. Like, what does that look like? Like, how do you serve with all of your heart, all of your mind? Do they do it one at a time? Are they sequential? Do they overlap? Right. And that was a question that I really, really felt if I had a an understanding on that we, we could make some headway that makes sense and 
I was asking, you know, what is what is essentially is is this balance that we're looking for? And I realized that maybe the one of the challenges was that ever since I was a kid, the main idea of a balance was, you know, something balancing on your finger, you know, like a like you get it into the right spot and it would stay balanced. But life's not like that because life is always changing. So the type of balance that we wanted to have is um, is a dynamic balance. It's a it's a balance while you're moving, kind of like a surfer is is moving but still balanced. <clears throat> so maybe it's like we're here with our our four endowments, and and maybe it's like if if we could say we're we're driving a car. And we have four wheels and they all have to the wheels and and the tires have to be balanced because you can go around driving slowly and there might not be any impact it's just like in in today's world things are moving so fast information is moving so fast everything is going so fast how are we able in our body, mind, heart, and spirit to keep up with all of this? So if, if all of these are to work together, body, mind, heart, and spirit, and be balanced, it's, it's like they're all e- of equal value in their own right. They each have a purpose, and they each have their own <clears throat> way of helping each other and they integrate so i studied things like integral theory and wilbur and walter russell where these guys are talking about balance in a dynamic way and when i took the real question to the lord and like how do how do we make what does it look like to be balanced for me and the distinct impression if 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 i can say it was that i i felt that the perhaps an answer would come from studying helium that was the impression like helium the gas helium why would i want to study helium and that's where i learned that helium has this nucleus the chemical helium and i'm not a chemist but just from basic chemistry we understand that helium has this nucleus of four particles conveniently two protons two neutrons these four things that somehow come together and unite in a way that is natural it's organic it's at the same time very stable so helium is a noble gas it's it's inert i thought well maybe we if we were to pattern if we were to learn some things from how helium works maybe that could help us in balancing our lives what it does do i think is teach us that it's so it it is possible to be dynamic and be balanced it is possible to have our body mind heart and spirit work together and empower us and lift us up. And when we're balanced that way, we also find the new center and it's easier to get into the center place, which is really the, um, 
stillness place. But they all have to work together to create the stillness, if that makes sense. Yeah, so I'm thinking of stuff at the atomic level, like you're talking about helium. And uh, it's interesting because at the atomic level, there isn't stillness. Like there's always, uh, what is what did it, was it that uh, Einstein said? Spooky action at a distance or, you know, like there's always stuff going on at the quantum <laughs> level, at the atomic level. And it's interesting to think about helium as being balanced when the particles within it, no matter what atom it is, you know, there's energy moving, it's going place to place. It's, it's not sitting still all the time. And uh, it's, it is unique to be, you know, a, a noble gas or inert, right? Energy, which basically means it's non-reactive um, among the different atoms, because the basic, one of the basic principles of the universe is entropy, which is basically saying like moving towards chaos, order to chaos is like a basic rule of the universe is that naturally the universe wants to uh, reposition particles and move things around and, you know, create chaos, destroy things. And on a personal level, just look at your sink every morning and you're like, wow, there's a lot of dishes in there, right? It's like, there's a lot of entropy that happens uh, not only in the kitchen, but in our minds, right? It's like, hey, I'm really focused on this project. I'm really focused on this. And then the next day it's like, oh, I have no focus or I'm really emotionally stable, like feeling great. And then the next day it's like, oh, I don't know why I'm so sad or you know, like this kind of entropy comes around all the time. So as as we're thinking about, you know, these concepts that you're talking about balance, you're talking about the helium atom. How did the helium atom help you find balance in your life amongst the entropy and amongst the chaos? So the, the question was, how do we, is there a model that helium was presenting where the energy would move? That was how I, I approached it. Um, and so if you have these four spheres, maybe it's like two figure eights and, and the energy is somehow moving between them. And that, at least according to Walter Russell, for example, a, a person we don't hear too much about, but he, he was tumbling around with people like Tesla and Einstein. And I think Tesla called him like the, the genius. So, okay, well, what's this guy talking about? And he says that creation is actually um, a, deny, a dynamic interchange of energy. That's what it's always happening, but it's this uh, interchange of two pairs of opposites working together. So that makes, sense that you have it in the center of helium you've got these two pairs of opposites that somehow balance each other out so the energy is moving inside it however when we observe it uh helium is the alpha particle that which is the 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 nucleus of helium doesn't have any spin to the observer yet we know that the energy is moving in it. So somehow there is this energy transformation from movement 
on one level to a apparent balance stillness at a higher level and i created a little pattern basic basically it's an s and a curve an s and a curve and energize and a release pattern that moves between these four things and you can use it as a meditative practice so any modality any type of healing modality even just sitting in meditation and imagining you've got these four spheres one represents your um, body one represents your mind one represents your heart and one represents your spirit and how do they and you can just imagine how they're working together are they the same size for example is one bigger than another and I kind of settled on the idea that the ideal would be that they're all the same size or roughly the same size and equal distance from each other in the model because then the energy can most easily flow yet what seems to happen is one of them will get bigger up a little bit more think that it's more important than another one and then you can you can see that in in real life people that will have uh maybe really healthy bodies but have a hard time having a relationship or they're they they uh they're they will have um money but they lose their health or their children their relationships so if we see that the four spheres work together by moving the energy, there's also a center spot that they would um, cross over. And it's a virtual spot. It's not real in the sense that it's neither of the four, but it's the place that's in the center of all of them. And when all four get set up, then the center spot becomes more real in the sense that it's it's actually there, but it's not. And I was wondering, well, maybe the energy goes through there. And while it's moving, it's in a wave state. And while it goes through the center, it collapses and the observer sees the stillness. I think that may be what was happening in helium. So I don't know that for sure. It was just, it's just a mind experiment, but the idea was it, it helped integrate all those things in my life and saved me. I mean, it really gave me peace because things started to settle down and I started to have more confidence, more success. Um, and the gospel helps us move through these because Joseph Smith taught about the first four principles and ordinances of the gospel in that it seems that the ordinances actually help us go through this process of creation. And we understand that everything is created twice, first spiritually, then physically. So maybe there's a sequential pattern from spirit to mind, and then the heart receives that, gives it courage 
gives the beat of life and the breath, and then the physical manifestation happens. And then the physical manifestation learns to give it back to the spirit. And the spirit then gives a model for the future. And the mind says, okay, I will choose to pattern myself after the model of the spirit. And it's going to look like this, but it's just in the mind. It's not created yet. And then the mind has to convince the heart that this is a good idea. You know, and the heart has to say, well, okay, I'll trust you on it. I'll receive it. I'll put my heartbeat to it and breath of life and empower it. And then the body has to receive it and return it and through service back to service, back to spirit. So maybe it's a pattern like that. And I thought, well, wow, it, it's, if that works at the helium, helium level and it works at our level and the gospel of Jesus Christ helps us actually navigate through that by using priesthood ordinances and then take that to the next level when we go to the temple and we actually see all of that in the broadest sense, we learn that there is a plan for us. And God is closer to us than, than we, we often realize. And that peace made it easier to approach and be more still in meditation. So this meditation, uh, how often do you do it? Oh, every day, multiple times. Every day, multiple times. So there's not like a, a set time of day when you do it. Is it just uh, when you're feeling out of balance, you do it? When, when, when do you know when to do it? I tell you, it seems like I have to do it more and more and more every day now. Because this, there is a stressful energy on the earth right now. And I'm feeling that I have to do it more now than I used to. Um, breath work is vital. Breath work. I, I really like doing uh, Wim Hof breathing. Um, that was really transformative. And so imagining going into, you know, those extreme challenging positions while maintaining a model of balance I found uh, needs to be done all the time, like first thing in the morning, um, for sure. And and throughout the day, anytime I'm going to try to, to do anything, really, it, we want to be able to make sure that all four components are equally involved. Everyone, ha each each of the quadrants have has its voice so that nothing is left out. So do you know when you're going through the meditation, I'm imagining, uh, and you tell me if I've got the meditation right or not, you're imagining how this alpha particle moves throughout the helium nucleus, right? And that it's creating an S and then a curve and an S and a curve. And it's, it's looping through this and you pay attention if one of the four, um, either, I mean, there's protons and neutrons right in there one of the four of those particles in the nucleus, if one is bigger than the other, or if they have more voice than the other, is that what you're paying attention to? And then you're asking yourself, you know, like what, 
what do I learn from this as, as I see this, how can I create balance back? Or are you mostly just focused on running the alpha particle through that pattern until balance is created? What are, Mm. what are you doing in the meditation? Yeah, it's, it's kind of like a, uh, a gauge or on a dashboard. So I think to the, to your point, the first, the first aspect is that it's, it's about, observe using the subconscious so because when you're when you're viewing that and you ask your subconscious to to basically run the the pattern because when you're looking at it as an observer and you're just letting in your mind the picture run it's the subconscious running it so if there is a hang up it'll look like it'll it'll it won't it won't be smooth <clears throat> sometimes it it jags off like it 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 can't go that route it, it's got to do something else it will go square or it'll start spinning out of control so it's just basically it gives you an opportunity to be aware okay so somehow the information is not moving from my mind to my heart for example so then you could just say, all right, that's good to know. And what is it? Is my heart not open? Is it, is it afraid? So you can use it as a, um, as a tool uh, to like a, like a a gauge or on the dashboard. Because if you're traveling through life, like you're driving, you've got this dashboard, your speedometer, it's just giving you a gauge of how fast you're going, you're, you have tire pressure, you have oil pressure, you have all these things that are feedbacks to you of systems that are happening below your awareness. And that's good to know. So if things come out of um, stability or they cause a red light, you could see that in, in the pattern by something not working smoothly. And then you can then use different modalities so meditation itself or reiki or anything that some people have found helpful to help change subconscious beliefs and there's lots of different modalities i was introduced to psych k uh in um around 2007 2008 which is rapid subconscious belief patterning and I modified it for my own purposes, you know, trying to integrate balancing. So we would balance things belief wise so that everyone had its companion and that they were in, um, that they were able to vibrate smoothly in harmony, coherently. And I just started doing psyche balancing at that level. So if, for example, you could just um, find out that there was different values for or beliefs in each of the spheres. In a simple way, I kind of created a little couplet. It goes like this. I am healthy. I am strong. I am grateful. And I belong. As kind of teasing out primary values of each of those four spheres. So I am healthy. This for me was actually the mind. We want a healthy mind. We want a grateful heart. We want 
a strong body. And we, when it comes to the spirit, I thought, well, what would be the value at that level? I thought, it's belonging. We, we need to belong. So the spirit is in that aspect, those four work together. And then you could also add, I know who I am. I know where I'm going. I can do this and it's worth it. It completes the circle. And then I, the more I looked at this, I realized, wow, that pattern of four is everywhere, everywhere. I mean, look at our earth. There's the four seasons right there in front of us. And it cycles through in a pattern. But from a distance, you look at the earth and it looks like it's still peaceful. But there's lots of dynamics here. So if the dynamics can work together to balance each other out, then I think we have a better shot at our evolution, the conscious evolution. And the gospel is a there it is right there. The, the, the principles of the gospel line up with that. And the ordinances of the gospel help us psychologically go through that. Then we go through the temple help us psychologically evolve, understand the next process that we really are children of heavenly parents and that our destiny is way more than we tend to think about on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah, it's it's really cool what you're talking about. I I'm thinking about uh different things in the church. I mean, there's uh in the in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, there's different priesthoods too, right? There's uh the Aaronic priesthood and the Melchizedek priesthood. The Aaronic priesthood is for the physical ordinances, and the Melchizedek priesthood is for the spiritual ordinances. So I mean, already right there, there's even the priesthoods are divided at least among two of those categories that you're talking about. And then there's even divisions within those priesthoods too. Um, also, when you're talking about the temple, I've done a couple episodes on this podcast about the temple uh, related to hypnosis. Um, I'm not sure if I've spoken about quantum physics in the temple yet, but uh, the, it's this idea that in order to have a really powerful successful temple experience, someone needs to be in an altered state of mind to access certain spiritual aspects within themselves. And in one of those episodes, I think it's called um, the temple uses hypnosis and it's a good thing or the temple hypnotizes us and it's a good thing. And it, this, that episode is inspired because my mom said um, when I told her I was learning hypnosis, she said, well, why would you do that? I, I wouldn't, I would never let anybody hypnotize me. It's not so good. And I said, well, have you been to the temple lately? That's what I said. <laughs> That's basically all what the temple does. Same with, I mean, if you listen to the LDS general conference, you'll be hypnotized the whole time. They don't even know they're doing it. But the, uh, the idea is when you get to the temple, the whole experience is hypnotic and it gets you down to a subconscious level where you can access information that you wouldn't normally be able to access and you would be able to do spiritual work, which you wouldn't normally be able to do because, you know, throughout the days you're working your job or balancing your checkbook or, you know, stuff like that. You're just not in the state of mind that allows spiritual work to be done and for spiritual communication to happen. 
And I mean, I highlighted a story here about, you know, the temple to, to highlight how when I was learning hypnosis, that it kind of was taboo, right? It was like, well, you can't do hypnosis and BLDS. It's it's not really congruent with those values. And it seems like you're you're in these communities of, you know, you've you've run across people who do Reiki and uh, obviously Psych K, right? Things like that. Did you ever get any kind of weird stares or something? You know, like people being like, "What are you doing that for?" From the side of the LDS community. Yeah, I think it's common. Yeah. Um... In the Latter-day Saint culture, we're also encouraged to be cautious about things that we don't know about, at, at least <clears throat> culturally, you know, we create these boundaries that we're supposed to stay within. And that's good. However, we're also taught to seek out the mysteries, study the best books. So there's, uh, okay. So how does that get balanced? And it seems to be that you have, you, you should learn this stuff and then you don't really talk about it apparently, or at least you, it's only talked about within when the Lord suggests that it's a good thing to reveal. And we learn things at different paces. We're all different. We all have different pasts and different experiences that change our safety levels, I think. So things that are people don't understand, they're afraid of a lot of times. And I think that's something we, we need to get over. Um, we learn, I mean, we take Adam and Eve as a, a model, right, in the temple. Mm. They did some pretty courageous things. And I think we're to understand that maybe we it's okay to go into spaces that we don't know if we have protection from the Lord. And it's true that some of this stuff is, is um, it's used by different forces in the world because it's the same principles. There are counterproductive forces in the world that are experts in these forces. And I justified myself going into it by saying, hey, if, if we are um, warriors of light, we need to know how to use these tools. Um, <clears throat> so in order to learn those tools, you have to go into, into places that other people normally don't go. Um, so yeah, it, it's... <clears throat> I think it's changing though, because now we're, we're seeing that the results are more scientific because we can do things now better than we were able to in the past. So now there's scientific rigor behind a lot of these things that were kind of woo woo before uh, are measurable, predictable, um, reproducible. So we should, it's okay to learn about these things if we also understand its role in the in the bigger picture that really we're here is in the evolution of this our our uh, our consciousness and maybe collectively the human consciousness 
I have this feeling that unless the temples were restored, human human consciousness, the evolution of it, would be curtailed. So the the importance of the restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ is to ha to have these temples where we can go and be taught and actually assisted in this conscious evolution and the beauty of it is is that it is a mystery and it's only revealed as we are ready for it so sometimes when you go to the temple if you're not prepared it's like what i have no idea why it's crazy i have no idea what's going on why would i be doing this this just doesn't seem right i was not you know you've got people that are surprised what happens and then you've got people that are also surprised at how uplifting it is and how true it is to our divine nature. It is the proper pattern or it represents the proper pattern as best as we can right now. And that's amazing to me that the inspiration behind the temple ordinances and actually all the the whole system of the church is amazing. It is a marvelous work and a wonder. And the more we go into the future, the more that becomes evident. It'll become self-evident, I think, as Brigham Young said, in the last days, there'll be so much evidence of the correctness of the restored gospel that the church will just need to claim its divinity. Something like that, I'm paraphrasing. Yeah, but it'll become self-evident. It's it's really cool what you're saying. I really like how you're saying that it's worth it to get out there and learn these tools and be warriors of light and and to go to the temple and really experience everything that you're talking about. And uh, one of the big reasons why I even made this podcast was because there was a disconnect between uh, dogma and spirituality, I think, in LDS culture, where... Uh, for example, like healers right now, energy healers, there's a really big taboo around them in the church where it's like, you shouldn't be doing that. There's some people getting excommunicated right now uh, that are people that, take, that are taking money for doing energy healing are the ones that are getting excommunicated. And uh, when I was working for the LDS church, we had uh, the church's marketing group called Bonneville Communications. They came and created this report for us that they had done some research over the last year or two of what our market is to do missionary work to. And they had this pie chart up and in the pie chart, there was like 20% of all people, basically they've segmented would be people that are interested in what we have to say. Right. And first thought for me, was like, well, that doesn't make sense. Gospels for everyone should be, you know, like anybody, should be able to understand and be interested in it, you know, at some level. It's not like uh, denominational. Gospel is non-denominational, if that makes sense. But the church carries forward its work, right? And um, then they showed another segment that was on here of people that would talk to us, but wouldn't wouldn't be interested. And it was like 30%, and it was spiritual people. And I bet you that number's grown over the last couple of years as people have felt this chaos that's in the world, the stress that's in the world that you're talking about, more people are looking for balance, for peace, for 
all those kind of things and are turning to spirituality to find it. And they're looking at different forms, whether it's psyche or uh, hypnosis or Reiki or meditation, breath work, all that kind of stuff, right? And what we're finding too in Utah and among members throughout throughout the world is they're finding these spiritual practices as well. And so I was sitting there and I was saying, this is, this is wild that we don't think we can find common ground with spiritual people. Because if you think back at the time of Joseph Smith, those were the people that were joining the church were the ones that were spiritually minded. Right. And in fact, in the book of Mormon, it says spiritually minded is life eternal. And it's got a nice little acronym smile right? Spiritually minded is life eternal. That goes, goes along with that. And you can think of that and smile as you say that. And so we naturally in the church, we encourage people to be spiritual, to seek for revelation from God, to seek healing through the priesthood power. And, and I thought, how is it that we don't have common ground with people that are spiritual, how is it that we can't communicate with one another? Because to me, it's just simply a process of communication because I'm thinking of energy healers or Reiki, Reiki healers, right? Um, one thing I've heard commonly from people that do energy healing or Reiki is that after the session, they feel exhausted. Mm. Like their, their energy was used, used up. And I think of every time I've, I've participated in several miraculous healings through the priesthood power. Hmm. And every time that those happen, I notice a net increase of energy, not only to the person being healed, but also to the person doing the blessing. And I think I'm like, okay, how is it that the people that are doing energy healing and Reiki are losing their energy? But through the priesthood power, everybody's gaining energy. And it becomes a question of physics, right? It becomes a question of energy. And when you look at it scientifically like that, it, it gives you a clear answer of, well, there must be power coming from somewhere other than just ourselves. And that's a super important thing to realize. And so it would be great to have a conversation with someone who's an energy healer and does Reiki and talk about that, you know, like... Yeah. That would be really interesting to them to be like, whoa, you guys, when you do healing, it's miraculous, but you guys gain energy throughout the process. It doesn't wear you out. You use the power of God, right? It's like, yes, we do. You know, and then all of a sudden there's common ground for discussion, right? So uh, as you've gone through this, right, as you've learned Psych K, as you've um, done breath work, as you've learned about other spiritual practices, what have you, have you ever felt like some disconnect with the church on what they believe at any point? Or was it pretty clear to you how they all connected even from the beginning? Or did you have to like do some pondering to figure out how your beliefs connected? I've always found it interesting that in the church culture, we talk about prayer. We don't really talk about meditation. We talk about pondering, which is a little different than, you know, the Eastern meditation of, of the stillness. So I've always found that fascinating that the church consciously doesn't use the word meditate very much. Do you notice that? 
Yeah, I've totally noticed that, even though it is in the introduction to the Book of Mormon. So that I find fascinating. And, and because everything is just energy and collection of vibrations. And we know that it's all about contrasting energies working together. So male and female energizing and releasing. So when you talk about how we can be drained when we're doing certain types of modalities, it, it strikes me that that's just the way that that form of energy works. And that's okay. It's like when a mother has a child, there is a lot given up and that's okay in the same when we think about the your point about the priesthood ordinances when it's still just energy but it comes in differently and it comes in very uniquely actually and it helps me have a testimony that this thing this concept that we call the holy priesthood, the priesthood of God, which was restored back to us through revelation is different. It is unique from anything else. So it, I would expect that to happen. And we need both. We need the male and the female. We need to energize and we need to release. We need to inhale and we need to exhale. So I find it encouraging that there is these contrasts because ultimately without the contrast we had nothing to put together so i want to see the church continue to be super strong in the priesthood understanding and the priesthood power and the union is coming the union is coming maybe it's when the second when the savior comes for the second time that this unity will happen I'm okay with the contrast because the contrast means that something will come together. If everything is all modeled up, then there's no, there's, you can't come together if you're not been apart. And I think that the process of coming together is so important that we need these contrasts to begin with. Does that make sense? Something yeah, like that. That makes sense. Um, I think that we naturally have a contrast or a duality of life here on earth because i mean in in the doctrine of the church of jesus christ of latter day saints one thing that we talk about and we teach is a pre-life existence a pre-earth life existence and in in that doctrine we talk about it being spiritual and intelligence right and there's no amount of time that says how long we've been living spiritually before we came here physically. And if I'm just going to use reason or logic, if I'm in that situation, we probably wanted a physical experience because we experienced just about everything that was possible or we could do in a, in a spiritual plane. And before we were spiritual and LDS doctrine, we were intelligence, right? And probably before we were spiritual, we experienced everything on an intellectual plane that we wanted to accomplish. So we know, first of all, that just through reason in my own mind, I'm thinking that we've probably got all of the spiritual capabilities within us that we could 
accomplish anything spiritual and all of the intellectual capabilities within us that we can have revelation and and think of whatever we want. The key thing is being able to integrate that into the physical moment, right? And it and it seems like a lot of what you're saying, right? That balancing the pathway between the mental spiritual plane is through the heart and then into the body. And and now that we're here, we have to use our heart to say, okay, this is the connection between where I am physically and where I came from spiritually before and intellectually. And I think Jesus Christ showed this a lot. He was, he, I mean, first time really in the scriptures, did someone consistently show how the physical reality can be manifest or altered or manipulated through someone's spiritual power. And Jesus Christ is, you know, to me, he's equal to any one of us. The only thing that made him different was that he had physical divine DNA being used and being born here on earth. And he was able to have access to that physical uh, change of reality a little bit quicker than, than maybe we do. But at the same time, he taught us that it's possible now. And right. I, I learn about Jesus Christ and I say, well, he would want us to rediscover what we already know spiritually in our spiritual belonging, you might say, with that divinity and use our minds to be intentional about creating what we want here in the physical plane. And the way to move that to that creation is through the heart, right? So I'm thinking about how you go through that balancing, right? You the spirit, the mind, the heart, the body, and it's almost like a sequence. Yeah. And, um, I think as, as we're here on earth, a big thing is to remember who we are is to know that we have access to whatever information we need. And what all, what we got to focus on then is becoming aligned to what we're seeing and what we're experiencing in a physical reality to who ultimately we actually are, our true identity mm-hmm. and making that become manifest in our lives. Is that how you would describe finding balance? Yeah, actually very, very much so. Um, it's a journey and you're familiar with Joseph Campbell and the hero's journey, which is basically the, the, the myth of all myths that we are here and, and we all have this pattern that we, we go through. And it, it's interesting that these contrasts or dualities are, are actually an important part of our ability to move and become who we have the potential. So without those, we don't, we are not strengthened. We're not, we do, we don't learn, we don't experience without those things. So we have to come to that, I guess, an awareness that it's okay that these contrasts are here. That's, that's one of the um, key, key beliefs. And if, and if we're on a journey, we're like, like say we're traveling somewhere. So we have this vehicle, our physical body, and we're going to some destination. Okay. Then what do you need for that journey? Of course, we we need nourishment for the the body. What else can we use? What else would be useful? Um, maybe a compass and a map. 
something that gives us a lay of the land and some measurement tools to see where we're at. That would be helpful. And I think that the the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, integrates those those concepts. It gives us that both of those things, the, the tools with our uh, the gift of the Holy Ghost and the light of Christ are feedback mechanisms, we could say in this analogy. They tell us if we're going in the right direction. And maybe even more, they can also tell us which way to go. Yet we still need a map. We need to know where we're at today and where we're going. So if we use the, the car example of the four tires, you want your four tires or four wheels to be balanced so that they don't wobble when they get going too fast. We also need good tires. We need treads to handle the environment that we're going through. If it's, if it's a snowy hill, we need some good tires. Sometimes we're going through snowy hills in our life. And if we aren't equipped properly, we're, we, we just won't make it. It just won't happen. So <clears throat> a whole balanced trip will include, you know, all of these resources coming together at the right time. And the tires of life, I, I, or, yeah, the treads of life are kind of like our beliefs. If, if, if we can do this and it's, uh, we believe it, that it can happen, then it will happen. So that's why I thought that at the subconscious level, getting good beliefs aligned with who we really are in our true divinity, that we have this potential. We, we, we know who we really are. We know where we're going and we know that we can do this and we know that it's worth it. There's not much going to stop us. And our subconscious says, okay, we're going. And the miraculous life unfolds. Yeah. I think these are really important learnings that you're sharing with the audience because, um, Usually if I'm not moving in the right direction, I've forgotten one of those things <laughs> and it, it happens uh, regularly. And it, it's good that you have a meditation to rebalance that and recalibrate that. Um, I had a couple questions too. I think it'd be helpful actually to define what psych K is <sighs> first. And then after that, I want to know some stories of where you've used everything we've talked about, psych K, meditation, balancing, all that kind of stuff, and stories where you've used that to balance something or someone, a project, or those kind of things, so that we can get an idea of the uh, manifestations of using these practices in your life. Yeah, so psych K is one of the modalities that I learned about after I had read Bruce Lipton's book, um, Biology of Belief. So he introduces Psyche as a, a system to rapidly change subconscious beliefs that are um, not helpful. So um, it works using the energy fields, the same fields that you use in Reiki. Um, there's different methods. Uh, it can include just 
as simple as affirmations, just repeating affirmations, combined with uh, energy points on the body, meridian points, which are connected to uh, beliefs. So that kind of gets a little hard to explain. But anyone working in the in the uh, energy fields knows that it's all about vibration and connection. And if, for example, you have a belief that you are not worthy of the best that love and life have to offer, that you could consider as, as a, a sphere that's just floating around. But whenever you say that statement, if your subconscious says, well, I don't really think I am worthy, then it's kind of like the, the wheel has a little pull to it. And it's always going to be taking you away from um, the stuff that you would experience if you did feel that you were worthy. So Psyche, you can go in and um, just like NLP as well, I would I guess, do um, work at the belief level so that the subconscious now is on board with that belief so that when you say i am worthy of the best that love and life have to offer your subconscious says yeah you bet where are we going let's do this so um if that's the case and that everything is energy and we have these beliefs i was wondering if it also would apply in other types of systems rather than just our human body would for example a ward or a congregation have a collective consciousness and would it be appropriate to even um, influence that and then i i realized well actually we're being influenced or hypnotized all day long by everything i mean the, the commercials the music, the movies, all of them are using subconscious hypnotic tools to help influence us to, for good or otherwise. So that's another reason why we should learn these tools, because we are being bombarded by people using these tools, whether we even know them or not. And um, so I thought, well, maybe we could we could. Um, balance other things so when in the early days of learning this my son and i were looking at this big maple tree that was in our backyard that had over the last two or three years prior had previously lost its life it was dying every year it was just getting worse and worse so wow why don't we do an experiment so we did a balance for the tree and it was about this time of the year before spring. And I was still just learning, experimenting, but basically went into the connected with the, the, the tree in the sense of what we call surrogation work or surrogate work, which is proxy work. Another way to say it, what happens in the temple is the same principle when, uh, with intention, you can share, uh, conscious space of a, another system if it's safe and appropriate. So there are protocols that you want to implement because sometimes it's not appropriate or safe 
to go into uh, some spaces. So I think that's an important point to remember that it's you can't balance everything. Some things are not to be touched. And so we need to be able to recognize that. But um, so we balanced this tree. And when the spring came up, all of a sudden there was this huge new growth coming out of all kinds of places on the on the the trunk of the tree the old branches did not uh, produce but the, the the from the trunk all kinds of new growth happened and then a couple years later a windstorm came and blew the tree down <laughs> So that was that was kind of a, a funny outcome, um, and there's so many projects that we we've done, but I would say um, the interesting thing is that a lot of times after a balance, the results come in, but they come in such a natural way that it's easy to say, "Oh, it would have just happened that way." Um, it, the balance didn't have anything to do with it. And that's been my experience. So we do a balance, the things will change, but the observers will say it's changed, but I think it, it wasn't the balance. It must've been something else. <laughs> um, and so that's a common, a common experience. And the bottom line is, Hey, are you better now? Yeah. Okay. That's great. So, 10 years for 10 years you weren't now you're better okay that's the main thing <laughs> and you move on and another thing that happens and this is a cautious is is that when balances happen it also opens new doors and we have then to go into those spaces and if we're not ready to make the commitments in the new space it's it's like having keys is giving your keys to the car to a young child. So we do, there is, there is an importance of being really conscious of what beliefs you want to adjust so that you don't get ahead too far. You don't run faster than you have strength because you could change some of the beliefs, but, but some others might not come along as quick. I think you're you're bringing up a really good point is I think that um I mean just an example I I dove into entrepreneurship and the door was open I was ready for it I wanted to do it but maybe I didn't know enough right and I've had to learn little by little how to get things done and how to be good at being an entrepreneur and provide for my family and all that stuff and I don't know if I had the strategies in place in order to know, like to jump into that. I had the beliefs in place, but I don't know if I had the strategies. strategies yeah. And um, I think a way to balance those kind of decisions is also what comes in force. And there's question, there's why, what, how, and what if. And if you can answer all of those questions pretty well before you jump into something, right? Some doors open, you commit to something, usually you're gonna have a lot of success. So you know, you can ask why, like, what is the purpose of you doing something else, committing to this new thing? Yeah. What is it that you want to accomplish is the next question. What? And then how, 
how are you going to accomplish it? And then what if it's like, well, what if this happens? What if that happens? What are, what are the boundaries? What are your standards? What are your limitations uh, that would continually give you success for what you want to do? And a lot of people either, um, some people know the how, they know how to do what they want to do and they know what they want to do, um, but they don't understand why they would do it. Right. So they never start. There's no like beliefs in there. Some people know deep down inside why they want to do something and what they want to accomplish, but they get hung up on the how of, I don't like, I don't know how. So there's beliefs around there that don't allow them to move forward, mm-hmm. you know, and, and there's other people that jump into it. They know how, what, and why, but they didn't do a lot of thinking around the, what if this happened? Exactly. How would I change my strategy and everything? And I imagine this is kind of what you're talking about where hmm. people, um, if they're not ready to commit to something, right. It can, those tires that they were trying to balance that maybe one of them's not balanced. It starts to wobble at high speed. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. And, and they have to go back and rebalance Have you, and I know you've used this in a business setting before, Mm -hmm. right? Balancing. Mm -hmm. Have you done, have you noticed this kind of pattern in business? Have you helped people balance projects and what, what was maybe an outcome of one of those? I think that I can talk about some of my own projects better. I think, um, for example, uh, we had one job that I had uh, back in the early days, a uh, project for a, a client. They said they wanted to uh, make a music video in Stonehenge. And they said, could you do a balance for that? I said, okay, <laughs> we, get, we want to do a, a music video in Stonehenge. That was the project, Stonehenge in England. So we did. Uh, we we balanced it and we ended up we we went there and uh, had a an amazing experience. I, I remember I was inside Stonehenge by myself. the 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 guards took us up. Uh, I had the video equipment and sound equipment, and he said, "Oh, you can just go up and take it and get set up." I'm walking up, I'm sitting in the middle of Stonehenge by myself, setting up this camera and the sound system uh, or mics. And while the rest of the the band was getting organized. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, what am I doing here? How did I get here? Uh, this was considered n- not possible. And it really all came into place. So we we did a balance and we found out that we could make an application. We made a, a company name that um, helped us get British Heritage to approve us to go in, do a, a mock sword fight inside Stonehenge. And um, another one was going to Egypt got to go to uh, the pyramids and it was like, well, the question was, well, what do you want to do on December 21st, 20, 
12, right? The, the, the day the, the world was supposed to end according to some people's interpretation of what the Mayans were believing. And the decision was, well, we should, we should go to Egypt. So we, we were there on that date. And I had this opportunity to take a copy of the Book of Mormon into the King's chamber of the, the pyramid on the day after that. It was, it was a really cool experience testimony for me that uh, there's some kind of connection between Egypt and the Book of Mormon. Yeah. Maybe we'll learn maybe, maybe we'll learn more about that in the future. Maybe because it was from reformed Egyptian is how it was written. Yeah, absolutely. Um my health is is really good. Uh I've I I focused on that a lot. Um I had issues in my past with uh skin problems, uh hypertension. So I've really tried to discover, is there a way, you know, what is causing, is it a belief? Is it nutrition? Is it genetics? Um, can beliefs override some of these? I mean, Jesus says that you can move mountains. If you have faith, can you override DNA problems? Can you heal? I think those are the things that we still need to learn a lot more about in the future. So my experience so far has been we would call it psychological uh, overview, making sure that the system can go through all of those four things easily. So I, I totally get it that that's what my experience was in, in the past is you, you could get three going, but the fourth would always be a hang up. And like, why, why? And uh, not sure whether we've figured it out, but I do know that the closer I stay to the Savior, the more awareness I have of my imbalance. The Savior is the perfect example of perfect dynamic balance. And the, when I attend our ward and serve in our ward, it, it is a different feeling than there is out in the world. And that's okay. And it, spiritual people may come and go, oh, it's not the spirit that I'm looking for. However, it's a spirit that we need on this earth right now because it, it does provide a structural fitness that is going to be very useful going forward. It's like the, the, the church is an important vehicle because there's lots of spiritual people that don't have much organization and they sometimes will say, well, we really don't like organizations because of the top down authoritation, authoritative, um, authoritative. However, there, I think it's going to be the time when we're going to need that structure. It's going to be the lifeboat, so to speak, you know? You're well, I, I would say it's part of balance, you know, I mean, it's, it's, this is usually what I think about and what I've had asked myself as I've approached the same question, right? Why do we need a system or a structure of rules to produce spiritual outcomes? Uh, because anybody that does spiritual practice, a lot of it is like dynamic, like you said, it's, it's really, really dynamic. And uh, when the church came out with a new logo, it used to be the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints was written inside of a box. Yeah, it was inside a square. Now they've put Jesus Christ on top 
of the square with an arch over him. And when they came out with that new logo, I said, there it is. Now I know it's supposed to be right. (laughs) And the thing is the church is Christ's footstool. That's where he's, he has a foundation to make sure everything gets done and everything is possible to happen. And, um, some people that say, you know, organized religion is not necessary. I say, well, what are you able to accomplish on your own compared to what you could accomplish with, with a large group of people. And, you know, there's been some cool miracles, uh, that I've heard of where everybody's fasting and praying together on a spiritual level. And all of a sudden fires that are raging down a mountain stop and turn another direction instead of Mm. burning up a community, you know, like there's stuff I got to hear all the time and participate in. And it's really important to understand that, um, organization is necessary and we need to organize resources, funds, people, and hearts and minds and spirits and bodies so that we have more power on a spiritual level in these days. And at the same time, I think it's essential for someone to realize that they are not property of the church, as in this idea of they can only think according to how the church says you have to think. And and that's, it depends, when I say the church, that's a really, uh, maybe not the best terminology. Maybe I'd say culture tells you how to think, because the church does encourage you to seek out wisdom and out of the best books and the best learnings. So it's, it's important to find that kind of balance as well, in my own opinion. One, one thing I wanted to ask is we're nearing the end of the time here. Uh, the thing that's always piqued my interest is Mayan archeology span yeah? right. and, and learning about uh, the Mayans and everything and, and, you know, their temples, their systems, their processes. And and one thing you know a lot about is the calendars uh, that that you gain meaning and value out of their calendars on a daily kind of way. And I wanted you to have a moment, talk about the Mayan calendar and how you use it throughout your day and how it helps you continually find balance each day as well. Yeah, okay. I'll, I'll keep it kind of kind of short, summarize it for now what we what we have is this culture the mayans and other cultures the aztec the incas had great calendar expertise and they didn't just have one calendar that was you know like 365 and a quarter days they had that but they had lots of other calendars that measured all kinds of things. Their their most sacred calendar is a calendar of 260 days, 260. And when the Spanish came, they said, well, the Mayans really don't, they're not that smart, right? (laughs) They don't even know how long a year is. They have this 260 day calendar. Apparently what that is tracking is something that we really don't know. However, it wasn't just the the Incas and the uh, Mayans and the Aztecs that had the 260 day calendar. Apparently even the Iroquois and other uh, native cultures had this 260 day calendar. And the, the concept was that every day has a specific energy and the energy is a combination of uh, 
an archetype, like a, a jaguar or a turtle or the sun light. There's 20 of them. And then these 20 archetypes go through a, an evolution of 13 steps from one uh, initialization all the way through to uh, 13, which is this evolution and they move on and they're all put together in a pattern that repeats kind of like a double helix. Bottom line is it the day, every day has a certain energy to it. And the Mayans believe that they existed before they came to this earth as a, as a spirit and that they chose the day that they were going to be born. And the 260 days may relate to the human gestation period. So imagine that there's some kind of connection to conception uh, of who we really are and the day that we're born. And it's kind of like weather forecasting. Um, it's not astrology in that sense. It's more like a... Um, from my gathering, very useful to know what type of gifts and talents you bring into this world that you may not have been aware of and how you relate to other people. And once you know who you are and who other people are, the relationships are, are kind of stable. So you can build families and teams and businesses based on knowing uh, your Mayan day sign. In essence, that's kind of the start of it. Um, maybe we could put a link to an app that uh, people could take a look at. There's so much to it, Ken, that um, resonates with the concept of integrating four components. So the four directions are uh, integrated in the calendar and they do represent the opposites. So it's, it's kind of like a, uh, a weather map, you could say, or a weather guide and a roadmap put together uh, and was the, the core of their civilization and was buried. A lot of this stuff was buried when the, uh, Spanish came hidden up in the hills in Guatemala. And in the last 30, 40 years, the elders felt that it was time to start bringing this uh, knowledge back. So it's really just starting to become more, more familiar. And if you, you live the, the calendar, you start to see the resonance and you start to get more confident that the gifts that you have, um, the, the uniqueness that you sometimes feel that you have that you don't really understand starts to make sense. Uh, and you can pattern your future, help to give you direction on what gifts you might want to work towards. What are your true natural tendencies that you maybe want to be aware of? You know, like certain, certain people will have certain weaknesses. Uh, it's good to know what those are and 
knowing what they are and having the tools to address them will, I guess, give us the confidence to get over those those hills that we have. So I, I found it useful. It, it, it's also kind of fun as a, uh, it's almost like a little game. You can find out people's signs and things like that and, and uh, striking. Um, I'm not sure how everybody, if they're ready for it, because it is a little hard to understand. Um, but there's a, a when I when I was introduced to it, the calendar and it it, it impacted me just as powerful as as the uh, the scriptures did. So it's it's been a wonderful journey, and I'm still really just scratching the surface. So for like most of this. So for you, uh, you've probably looked at your birth date and the significance behind that. What's some significance you pulled for yourself and how, how has that helped you in your life based on hmm. the day you were born? You don't have to share your birthday here. Maybe sure. Just your well, sign, I, I but... found out I'm a, I'm a, a Jaguar. I'm a three Jaguar. And the Jaguars are the protectors of the temple. And they are the holders of some of the the light that goes through the darkness. Um, the temples have to be protected from forces. Uh, and the jaguars are the ones that help. They're the shamans as well. So when I found that out, it, it made it easier for me to go, okay, that's why I have these tendencies to want to do this stuff. And it helped relax me to go, okay, I, I can, I can give this a whirl because there's some, something's got my back, you know, it was just another way of feeling part, feeling, feeling integrated into life here. You know, if, if, if this calendar starts to tell you, things that you know about yourself more clearly than you were able to. And, you, and not just you, but also everyone else around that you get to know. Uh, I found it comforting, relaxing, actually, um, to know that we're part of a bigger plan and it's a coherent plan. And the, the calendar has not been something that takes me away from the gospel of Jesus Christ at all. It, it helps, just helps me know that there is a bigger plan than, and the gospel is a bigger plan than we really understand. So, um, so what I'll do, and, and I, I love that. I love that you have guides in place to keep you balanced, to keep you focused on having the best life you can live. And I think that's really missing in, in a lot of people's lives is learning how to balance their lives, learning what purpose they have here and, and really focusing on fulfilling a very deeply personal work and doing it effectively. And, and I think a lot of what you've spoken about is really um, resonated with me as well on my own life, my own experience, how I've approached problem solving and and diving into my mind and in my life and finding focus and uh how could how could someone follow you or communicate with you if they have questions with you 
Yeah, you can reach me uh, via email, uh, cptkurt4 at gmail, and uh, also the same at Twitter at cptkurt4. Um, yeah, I would love to hear uh, what people think about this and um, would love to, to continue uh, seeing how this type of information can be helpful to uh, to other people as well as it's been for me i mean really we're just sharing ideas that we all learn on our own and and we hope that some of them really help other people so yeah. thanks it's been a lot of fun thank you and what i'll do is i'll put in the description of this episode how to contact you as well as you sent me a couple youtube videos yeah, that, that you created or or you're part of, and I'll put those in the description as well as a download link to uh, the Zulking Calendar, that is an app that you can download. And you can learn more about that there. Um, thank you so much, Kurt. Do you have any final words or things you you'd want to pass on to the audience? These are you know people listening to this are usually. Um, seeking God and divinity in a deeply spiritual way. What, mm. what is something that you want to tell them to close out? Sure. I, I would say it's really important to stay humble, watch that. And at the same time, you know, ask what is it that's going to make you thrive? And those two contrasts will open up uh, a beautiful discussion, you know, with the Lord and yourself. Um, I, I know the, that when I say I know, I've had experience that the Lord will answer our prayers. And if we take contrasts to him, he will help us. He will. Yeah, he'll help us find the way out. Yeah. Excellent. And thank you, everyone, for listening today. Uh, please you know, if you have questions, reach out to Kurt. He would he would love to answer your questions or help you find balance in your life. Um, or if you want to learn more about the Mayan calendar, he'd love to help you learn more about that. Also, um, please uh, like this podcast and give it a good review. Share it with your friends, especially those seeking balance. I think this will be a very, very impactful episode for them. And we will talk to you next week ken loves to get feedback from his audience send him a private message or write a review so that he can discuss topics that are most relevant to your spiritual experience thank you for listening today and remember to join next week